And if you would please turn your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, we'll be in chapter 4. We're going to be looking at two verses, 26 and 27. <clears throat> and I'm taking a, a break from my usual evening uh, sermon series on Romans 12, really to preach to myself this evening. See, we're all sinners and we all have, we're all vulnerable to temptation to sin, all vulnerable to temptation to every sin. It's wise to be on guard against sin, lest it sneak up on you. But uh, that being said, there are certain sins that some of us struggle with more than others, that are more of a danger to us than other sins. And For example, many people may struggle with the sin of addiction or drugs or alcohol. Well, this has never been a, a problem for me. The, the, the closest I came to addiction is, uh, is uh, addiction to food and having a difficulty, especially bread has been my, my weakness. But really, by far the most destructive sin that I battle with is the sin of, of anger, ungodly anger, explosive anger. And I'm thankful for friends and family that, that love me enough and brave enough sometimes to confront me uh, in these areas of sin. And this sermon is really the result of a, of a scripture series that I've done recently to help me, to help myself to better understand and, uh, and limit the destructive effects of this sin that I struggle with. But I think that this is not just something that I struggle with. I think this is common, and I think uh, we can all benefit from this area to help us undergo our sanctification. So our, our scripture is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 to 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that your word covers all the areas that we struggle with and that are, are difficult for us. And, and Father, this is one that, as I mentioned, is, is, is a struggle for me, and I know it's a struggle for other, others of us here. So I pray, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you will use this sermon uh, to speak to us and to help um, to break the stronghold that uh, anger could have on some of us in, in different forms, explosive anger or passive anger can have on us. And Father, above all, we pray that you are pleased and you are glorified during this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about anger, and it gives a lot of warnings of the, the danger of anger. Proverbs 14.29 says, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. And I can tell you from personal experience that when I have a hasty temper afterwards, usually after I've cooled off, I can see that I have exalted folly, that I have acted like a fool. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 15.8 says, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Again, from personal experience, I can see when I'm hot-tempered and, and, and quick, this will cause controversy, it will cause strife. But if you're slow to anger, slow to take offense, this will calm down a situation. Proverbs 16.32, this shows how important, really what a gift it is for us to be slow to anger. It says, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. So mastery over our own anger is better in God's sight is more advantageous to our souls than great power or leadership abilities. And this is just a sample. 
Proverbs in particular and scripture in general give us ample warnings of the danger and destruction associated with uncontrolled and misplaced anger. And given this scriptural evidence and our own personal experience, both with our own anger and uh, anger that's directed at us or anger that we've observed, this first point in the sermon may be a little surprising. And my first point in the sermon is anger in and of itself is not sinful. Anger in and of itself is not sinful. Notice the first two words of this Ephesians 4.26. It says, be angry. Be angry. It doesn't say, kill anger. It doesn't say, never be angry. It doesn't say, flee anger, as it says about other sins, such as sexual immorality. It says, be angry. And we know for a fact that anger cannot be sinful because Scripture frequently talks about God's anger. There are 43 times in Scripture we are told about the wrath of God. The wrath of God is mentioned. Jesus himself, the sinless Son of God, was angry. In Mark chapter 3, when Jesus is healing on the Sabbath, he asks the religious leaders, he says to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But these leaders were silent. And then Mark 3, 4 says, and Jesus looked around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart. See, the state of the heart of these religious leaders made Jesus angry. Now, some may think that that anger is always sinful. They think that anger is is not loving. And if you're angry with someone, you're not loving that person. And Tim Keller, I think, has a really good insight here. Keller says that anger is not the opposite of love. He says hate is. And in the final form of hate is indifference. So think about that, indifference. And he goes on to say the more a father loves his son, the more he is angry at the drunkard, the liar, the traitor that is in his son. And Keller goes on to say, true love always gets angry. Anger in its uncorrupted origin, that is godly anger, is just loved, love moved to deal with a threat to someone or something that we love. So as he says, anger in its uncorrupted origin is just love moved to deal with a threat against someone we love. So anger, godly anger, what it does is it motivates us. It motivates us to action in response to the threat to something that we love or someone that we love. So anger in and of itself is not sinful. Anger is a form of love. In fact, failure to get angry in a proper situation, this is sinful. Failure to get angry in the proper situation is really a failure for us to show love. So if anger is in fact a form of love, why then is it so destructive? Well, that's our second point. Because our our anger reveals what we love. Our anger reveals what we love. Again, in Ephesians 4.26, it says, Be angry and do not sin. And here's another insight that Keller had. He says our anger becomes destructive, becomes sinful, when it's completely out of proportion to the threat, leading to a sinful overreaction to the threat or or, or the threat that comes on the one that's loved. So in this case, our anger is really acting as a barometer, a barometer for our hearts. Our anger reveals what we truly love. And have you ever found yourself furious at something that, that really should not be that big of a deal? Or maybe even an irrational anger, or just maybe even an irritation, but it's, but it's irrational. 
because we, we and because we don't know the the source of the anger, often in our frustration we will lash out at everything and everyone around us. And this is how anger becomes so destructive. This is when it's sinful. This is what we are commanded not to do in this verse. So how do we protect ourselves from this sinful response? What do we do? Well, we need to identify, we need to identify the thing we love, the thing that is being threatened, the thing that is causing our anger. And this could be difficult, uh, and we often may not like what we find. I find when I do this search, and it's usually after the fact, after I have calmed down, that the thing I love, the thing that I was defending, it's not a person, it's not God, it's not a love of God's law, it's not a desire for God's justice, it's not an anger that God's name is being blasphemed, an anger that God is not being glorified. What I find more often than not is that my anger is sparked by a love for myself. It's a defense defense of my pride, my reputation, the opinion I have of myself or the opinion that I think others should have of me. And one of the biggest sources of irritation, those of you who know me, is I am so impatient. I hate to wait. I find when I have to wait a personal insult, right? I, I say, this person doesn't respect my time. This person doesn't value me. They think I have nothing better to do than sit around and wait for them. But really, the source of this anger is sinful. So the anger, if the source is sinful, the anger itself is going to be sinful. And the anger, what, is it, what it's really doing is it's revealing an idol in my heart. And that idol is my reputation, what others think of me. It's revealing an attitude that is contrary to Scripture. Romans 12.3 tells us that we are not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. Philippians 2.3 says that in humility we are to count others as more significant than ourselves. So what my anger does is it reveals a sinful heart. It reveals that I may believe these commands in the abstract, but not where the rubber meets the road. If I, if I have to wait for someone, my anger betrays that I do not count that other person more significant than myself. It reveals the exact opposite. It reveals that I consider myself the most significant. I consider my time the most significant. And my anger condemns me that I am thinking of myself more highly than I ought. So our anger can be destructive and sinful if the source of the anger, if if the love that it reveals is sinful or an idolatrous love, but it can also be sinful even if the source is good, even if the love it reveals is a proper, and even if the anger is justified. So our third point here, our response even to righteous anger can be sinful if it's out of proportion. And the last part of Ephesians 4.26, I think it gives us a very good uh, and practical guardrail to protect us from a sinful response to our anger. It says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. And what this is saying is don't let your anger fester. Don't allow your anger to feed on itself. Don't allow it to to spiral out of control and and blow the situation out of proportion. But it also could mean the opposite. It could also mean do not allow the anger to become embedded. Do not allow it to become a, a permanent part of your soul. Do not harbor animosity toward another person. Do not refuse to forgive, refuse to deal with the anger, refusing to reconcile the relationship. And what happens when you do this, this anger becomes like a cancer. It moves beyond the individual and and it goes out to the world. 
We are not to allow this to affect our thinking of the world and, and of a people. We're not to allow it to, to make us jaded or cynical and angry at the world. I mean, think about a woman who may have been in a, in a bad relationship, was treated sinfully by a man, and, and has justifiable anger toward this man. But she has now become jaded. She has become angry, not with just this one man, but with all men. Or think about the person who may have had a bad experience with a person of another race and now is anger and has hostility toward all people of that race. This is a sinful response. Notice also that these verses that I, that I started with in the beginning with, in Proverbs, they don't talk about us having no anger, but rather they talk about people who are slow to anger. Proverbs 14.29 says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. Proverbs 15.8, a hot-headed, hot-headed man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Proverbs 16.32, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. mighty. So letting the sun go down on our anger, which is, is letting it spiral out of control or, or letting it make us jaded or cynical, this is the sinful response to godly anger. But there's also a righteous response to godly anger. So what is it? Well, the righteous response to godly anger, the, the response that is to legitimate anger, is being slow to anger. So what does this mean? What does it mean to be slow to anger? Well, it means that our anger is under control. It's controlled. It's, it's measured. It's proportionate. It honors God rather than dishonors him. A person who is slow to anger absorbs hurt. He doesn't react to a legitimate offense against him. Proverbs 19.11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. See, the truth is, the majority of offenses that are against us, especially those from those closest to us, our loved ones, our family, our church members, fellow believers, these offenses are not intentional. They're accidental. They're, they're just a situation. They're what happens when we live in a fallen world. And the majority of our relational problems could be avoided if we are slow to anger, if we are willing to overlook an offense. And doing this is righteous. As the proverb says, out, says, this is to our glory. In doing this, we are honoring and glorifying the Lord. We are obeying scripture. Romans 12, 18 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. Now, we need to be careful here. See, oftentimes, if an offense is against us and it's a wound to our pride, the wise and godly response is, is really no response at all. It's really to overlook the offense. But this doesn't mean that this is always the godly response. Oftentimes, no response is just as sinful as an overreaction. Many times no response is not done out of righteousness. It's actually done because the person wants to avoid the problem. See, the anger is still there. It, it festers and it comes out at later times in an unhealthy ways. Or, or maybe there is a legitimate problem that needs to be addressed, but because of fear, because, because we are cowards, we don't do it. So in many ways, no response and a sinful overreaction Really, these are, are the easy way for us to deal with anger. <clears throat> but there's a third way for us to deal with justifiable anger. And this way is much more difficult and, and, and really much more costly to us than the other two. See, being slow to anger means 
we do not automatically and indiscriminately lash out in anger, being controlled by our passions. And also, it's not this no-anger response that's indifferent to, the, to offense or, or retreats from any type of conflict. Rather, a person who is slow to anger makes a conscious and a controlled, thought-out response. We use wisdom in our response. And this is by far the hardest of these three possible responses. And Keller describes this third response as what he calls a surgical strike rather than a scorched earth response. And this means we are to address only the specific area of sin to which the anger is righteous and justified response and go no further. Typically we get something, we, we might have justifiable anger and then we just go all crazy and, and we completely go out and, and, and we overblow it and this becomes sinful. See, we don't bring out a laundry list of, of issues. We don't overgeneralize. We don't use words like, you always do this. We don't assume motives. You're doing this because you don't respect me. We simply address the issue and we go no further. And doing this does not mean the person being confronted will respond immediately, repenting and, and joyfully, thinking, uh, uh, joyfully thanking you for bringing this, to, this issue to their attention. I mean, this is possible. And this is the best possible outcome. And this is more likely the outcome if you're dealing with a believer or a mature believer. But remember, we are all sinners. So even among believers, the first response may be anger at being confronted. And this is why it's so important that you use this surgical strike. Because if we make our confrontation overly broad, and then, then the specific offense that, that is justified godly anger... We not only sin against the other person, we give the other person a justified reason for being angry with us. And basically what we do, we don't solve the problem, we escalate the problem. It blows up out of control. But even if we do stick to the specifics, even if we do do this surgical strike at the legitimate sin in the other person, the person being confronted still may react in anger for all the reasons that we react in ungodly anger. And what we, we say will expose what the other person loves. And, and that they may not want to see this. It may expose an idol that they have in their heart. Just like we don't want to see the idols in our heart exposed. It may strike at a person's pride or wanting others to think well of them. And this is why we must prayerfully approach confrontation and, 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 and why this, this, this prayer will help us avoid escalation. Remember uh, Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So a soft, a gentle answer, again, after much prayer, will be much better received than a, than a harsh word. But conversely, there are times, and this is when wisdom is so important, that a sharp rebuke is the most effective, especially if a person is willful in their disobedience. But again, it must be a surgical strike a rebuke striking only at the issue at hand. But even if we do stick to specifics, even if we do a surgical strike at the legitimate sin in the other person, the person being confronted can still react in anger. And this will be costly, will be costly to us. This could be costly to our reputation. It could be costly to our relationship. It could be, uh, this is why, it really is the most difficult of the three responses. Because this third response, what it, what it requires 
is for us to absorb the unjust anger while not responding to it. So we have to absorb the anger but not respond to it with our own anger and not compromising with sin. And in this way, we imitate Christ. 1 Thessalonians 1.6 says, And you become imitators of us and the Lord, for you receive the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And in this, we have a privilege. We have the privilege to suffer injustice, just as Christ suffered injustice. In this, we model the gospel. We glorify God by showing others what Christ looks like in modeling and suffering injustice. Our last point in this sermon is that the emotion of anger must always, always be handled with care. Look at Ephesians 4.27 and give no opportunity to the devil. See, anger is extremely powerful. It can be used to defend and, and protect those we love. It can be used to defend God's word and God's truth. It can be used to confront and destroy the lies of the devil that hold many people in bondage to sin. So there is great power in the, in the correct use of our anger, but can also be used by the devil to destroy God's people, to destroy relationships, to destroy our witness and bring dishonor on the name of Christ. So it must always be handled with extreme care, never casually, never carelessly, but always prayerfully, always asking the Lord to expose our motives Seeking the counsel of trusted friends. I kind of think of it as uh, anger could be like a chainsaw. Think about a chainsaw. It's a very productive tool that you could use. But you always got to be careful. You always got to be watching it. Because that saw, just as it goes through a limb, could easily go through your own limb if you're not paying attention. Or maybe even a better analogy is, is uh, uh, anger can be like nuclear power. Think of, think of uh, nuclear power in a power plant that can provide electricity for an entire city. In a bomb, it can destroy that same city. And our anger can do great good or can do great harm. And at, the, at its core, anger really is not the problem. I think, at least for me, speaking personally, it's pride. Uh, we can both pridefully and sinfully, I think, respond to anger both with a quick anger that's out of proportion, or we can pridefully respond by, by suppressing our anger and bottling it up and not responding the way we should. But really what the thing is, we must mercilessly kill this pride and the anger. And, 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 and this will help us to identify and destroy the pride. So the, the, the anger can be used as a, as, a, as a barometer, as I mentioned, to identify this pride so that we can destroy it. So this is just a, a few. This, this sermon was really, like I said, a Bible study I did for myself. It's something that I did last week as I was going through and, and, and dealing with it. And I figured... If I can benefit from it, maybe the rest of it can benefit from it. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for your word. I thank you for your grace. I thank you even though that uh, we all do boneheaded things. Sometimes our, our anger overcomes us, but your grace is bigger. Your base, your grace is, is glorious. So Father, I do pray that you will help us, each of us, if any of us also have the same problem, help us to, to get a, a handle on it and uh, to put to death the sin, as, as you've called us in our sanctification to continue one by one, put to death these sins. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.